0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. If you haven't already, if you would please turn to Luke chapter 24. Last week we were in Luke chapter 22 where we discover, discover the meaning and significance of the Lord's table or communion. This past Friday, we remembered the Lord's atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people on the cross. And today we will rejoice in the scene at the tomb early on Sunday morning. Let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 together. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, the women who had come with him from Galilee, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you because the tomb is empty. I wish that I could have been there. I wish that we all could be standing around that empty tomb today so that we too can testify with our eyes and with our hearts, that it is empty and that Jesus is risen. Thank you for your words about the resurrection. Dear God, would you please help us today as we look at those words? Would you help us to lift our hearts in worship, our voices in praise? And would this hope, the joy and faith that is, that is encouraged by these words, Would that result in lives that are changed, lives that are lived for you? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, my hope is to answer the question, what is the significance of the resurrection? What is the significance of what just happened in Luke chapter 24? Was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ even necessary? I know we celebrate this historical event every year in the Christian faith, but why? Is the resurrection of Jesus simply the perfect ending to his life story? Or is there more to it than that? Is it really that big of a deal when liberal theologians deny the bodily resurrection of Christ? Is this a hill to die on? I believe the best place to begin to answer this question is with the words of Jesus. We see in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus speaks of his resurrection to his disciples. Three times, Matthew records Jesus prophesying of his resurrection In Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then in Matthew 17, it says, as they were gathered, gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be According to Jesus, this is an essential part of God's plan to save his people. In fact, he repeatedly ties his claim to be the son of man to this claim of being raised on the third day. When you hear Jesus describe himself as the son of man, he is claiming something very specific. He is claiming that he is the one that is prophesied by the prophet Daniel. In Daniel 7 verses 13 through 14, we read the following vision that Daniel saw way back in the Old Testament, long before the Messiah ever came. He says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer, die, and be raised On the third day, he is saying that the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised king must suffer, die and will be raised on the third day. As one theologian put it, quote, Jesus always connected his resurrection with his identity. If it happened, then he was the Messiah, the Christ, the king, the son of man. If not, well, then never mind. If Christ was not raised, then he was not who he claimed to be. If Christ was not raised, then he was a liar and not worthy of our devotion. The validity of the resurrection is essential to the identity of the Christ. The necessity of the resurrection is also proclaimed by his disciples after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, as recorded in Acts 2. Peter proclaims to the crowds in Jerusalem Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter then goes on and says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. He then finishes in verse 36 saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. For Peter, the resurrection made all the difference. The resurrection vindicated that Jesus was the Christ, the promised one, the Son of God. Before the resurrection... Peter was a broken man. He had denied the Christ three times. And then Jesus was dead. He died. For Peter, there was no hope left in this life and nothing but doubts about the next. But after encountering the resurrected Jesus, Peter is restored commissioned as an apostle and convinced in his entire being of the identity and authority of Jesus as Lord and Christ. As we read, Peter proclaims in Acts 2 verse 24 that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. According to Peter, it was impossible for the Christ to be held by death's grip. Why? Jesus himself gives us the answer as recorded in John eleven twenty five. 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is not claiming to simply provide resurrection and life. He is claiming that he is the resurrection and that he is life because he is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob identified himself to Moses out of the burning bush as the great I am. You can read about it in Exodus Exodus 3. And Jesus here identifies himself the same way. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It was impossible for death in the grave to hold Jesus because he is God, the son, the resurrection and the life. The necessity of the resurrection is also proclaimed by the Apostle Paul, who's also called Saul. And why wouldn't he? After all, he at one point was a violent enemy of Christ, persecuting the early church, seeking to imprison believers when he was literally knocked down and blinded by the glory of the risen Christ. We read in Acts 9 verse 1, it says, But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. the Lord sends a disciple called Ananias to heal Saul and to give him these words as we read in verse 17. It says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales frail from his eyes and he, re- and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Saul was forever changed when he encountered the risen Christ without the resurrection, Jesus would still be dead. And Saul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus would never have happened later in his ministry. There were some Corinthian believers who denied the possibility of any bodily resurrection. And Paul responds this way in first Corinthians 15 beginning in verse uh, in first Corinthians 15 verse 12. He says, now if, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have already died, have perished. And if Christ, and if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. According to Paul, the reality of a bodily resurrection is essential to our faith. If Christ was not bodily raised from the dead, then our faith is futile, vain, and we are still in our sins. If Jesus is still dead, then our faith, our hope, our suffering in this life is useless. Why? We already saw how it, it proves... His identity, who he what who he is. But also, as Paul says in Romans four twenty-five, it says, He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, we have more than just a sin problem, we have a righteousness problem. Not only have we sinned against a holy and just God, but we have also failed to produce any righteousness on our own. Apart from Christ, all our attempts at pleasing this holy and just God will be tossed on the dung heap of history as filthy rags. The reason this is so hard for mankind to grasp, to understand or accept, is because mankind does not grasp, does not fully understand the holiness of God. God is entirely set apart from sin. He is entirely other than sin. He is purity itself. It's not just something he does or doesn't do. Holiness And righteousness is who he is. In Revelation 4, John sees a vision of the heavenly beings around the throne of God. And he takes us into the presence of God for a moment. And he says, and day and night, they, these beings, never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When these heavenly creatures cry out, holy, 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 repeating the words three times, they are taking this description of who God is to the superlative or to the highest degree. They are crying out, holy, holier, holiest. And when man gets even a glimpse of the presence of this holiest God, They are undone and cry out, depart from me, Lord, for I am unclean. I am not worthy to come into your presence lest I die. But on the cross, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins. And at the resurrection, he is raised for our justification raised so that we might share in His right standing before the Father. We are declared righteous because the Father acknowledged the good and righteous deeds of the Son and vindicated His sacrifice by raising Him from the dead. And as we learn in Romans 8, those who are in Christ, those who believe on the only Son of God, Are declared righteous because we are in Him. We are in Christ. That's what it means to be justified. It is to stand before a holy, righteous God, not on my own, but in Christ, and be be declared righteous because of Christ's saving work on my behalf, in my place. Finishing what I could not even begin to do, begin to accomplish, I couldn't even begin it. Restoration and peace with God. The resurrection of Jesus also ensures our bodily our bodies will one day be raised. As we read in first Corinthians one, first uh, Corinthians fifteen, verse twenty. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first man or the first fruit to be resurrected to a glorified body that will never die. And all who are in Christ will receive a glorified body like his at the second coming of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is different from any other resurrection account found in Scripture. Every other person who was raised from the dead was raised back to a corruptible body that would one day die again. No other person has has as of yet received a glorified body. When the believer dies, their soul goes to be with the Lord, but their body remains in the ground. This has been the case since the very first death, the death of Abel in Genesis. And you can reference Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. But God created us in the first place to be body and soul. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, or also translated a living soul. We sometimes get this concept confused in our thinking due to misrepresentations in culture that have blended with pagan views of the afterlife. Some people have the idea that the material world, including their bodies, are what is evil. And that at death we are separated from these evil bodies and then only the good spiritual being is left to enjoy heaven forever. But this is not an accurate view of the eternal state. In the beginning, God created us body and soul. And what did he say about that? What did he say about what he created? We read in Genesis 1:31, And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Before the fall of man and the curse that followed, our body and soul were both good. And not just good, God says they were very good. Because he is the author of them both. Because this is the way he created mankind to exist. And at the second coming of Christ, he is going to restore that original existence to its intended very good status. Our soul will be united with a glorified body that will never die, never get sick, will never grow weary. As Paul later states in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. The resurrection of Jesus is what makes this all possible. As Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of all those who believe in him. All those who are in Christ will one day receive glorified bodies as he did. The resurrection confirms Jesus' identity as the Messiah. It is the foundation of our justification, and it ensures that one day we too will receive glorified bodies as he did. But what should our response to the truth of the resurrection, to the truths that we discuss today, what what should that, what should our response look like? Why spill so much ink in the Bible about the resurrection? Why belabor the point in a sermon? The reality of the resurrection gives us hope. It increases our joy and it strengthens our faith. But what does that look like in our lives here on earth? What does a person look like, think like, speak like and act like when this reality, the reality of a risen Savior sinks into their souls, into their hearts? What happens when the beauty of Christ crucified and raised on the third day awakens the heart of a person? Paul tells us what this looks like. As he says in in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own Paul counted or calculated every other competing pursuit as loss. Every other thing that in our lives might say, I'm going to become more than your Christ. He counted it all as loss. As nothing but a distraction. Something to be tossed aside compared to the supreme worth of knowing and following Christ. He wanted to know and experience the power that that resurrect, resurrected Christ from the dead. The same power that was required to raise Paul, you and me out of our sin. Grant us peace with God and one day give us resurrected glorified bodies that will dwell with him forever. But what is your response when you encounter the empty tomb? When you hear the words of the angels, he is not here, but has risen. Remember what he said in Galilee, Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and, and be crucified and on the third day rise. What will you do with the risen Jesus? Will you hide your face from him? Will you turn your head your face away and deny that he lives? Or will you with the rest of the family of God count every other competing pursuit of your life as loss? As nothing for the supreme worth of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection? Counting it an honor to share in his suffering. Yes, even to die rather than deny him. Because in him is life and the only hope of resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again that the tomb is empty. Thank you that our Savior, our Redeemer, our prophet, priest, and king is different from every other prophet for every other religion. Thank you that he alone is God, that he alone lives today that he is interceding on our behalf and that he eagerly awaits the day when he can return for his bride and the wedding feasts can begin. God, I pray that no one sitting here today would leave these doors apart from that family. That no one here would turn their face away from the risen Christ and deny him that no one here would count or calculate the garbage of this world as more worth as more worthy of their worship than the risen Christ would you do that in each one of us though we are so tempted to look away from the risen Christ and instead find our joy our hope our comfort in things, in the stuff of this world that is so fleeting. Dear God, would you change us? And would you make us into children that shine the light and the glory of Jesus Christ crucified, but risen. We love you. Please help us, Lord, in our pursuit of you as our ultimate treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.